Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm your host, back from the dead to save this podcast, <laughs> Dallas. Whew, I know, thank you. I can hear the applause. Everyone missed Yay. me so much. Yay. Yep, and I'm your real host, Alexis. Welcome, welcome back everyone. And the realest host. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And... And I'm Carol Ann Talk Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're, we're here to poke the bee's nest this week. Oh, a little extra spicy this morning. And do you want to tell us why you're Carol Ann Talk Shit today? Oh, just, you know, just the lovely people over at Comicsgate have been sending me the most lovely things because, you know, they're they're nice people. That's why they, we don't harass people. I'm going to harass you to prove that we don't harass people. <laughs> so, you know, I want to sh- send a shout out to them, my homies. Thank you very much. Thank you. So shout out to the real ones over at Comicsgate. Alexis, do you know what Comicsgate is? <laughs> I don't know, but it sounds rough already. If you name day. yourself Comicsgate, you're, you're acknowledging that you're a supervillain group, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what Watergate it's... is. I went to school. Sometimes. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. To go explore the backstagers area. Really, though, I went and slept on the sets and hid in the theater room. The end. All right. Lex, <laughs> Comic Skate is a group of men that feel very oppressed because yeah. women oh, don't get to have big enough titties in comics anymore. <laughs> and they can't have <laughs> active hate speech in comics anymore. Yeah, it so sucks. Making comics great again. <laughs> Just one one unfunded Kickstarter book at a time. Oh my gosh. Don't be that mean to them. They're so. (laughs) They have so little in life. I mean, they have to look at She Hulk not with her titties hanging out. It's really hard to be. It's so hard. It's hard to be them. It's hard yeah. to beat them because comics don't make them. Never mind. <laughs> they read a they read a comic and a woman in it had pants. Say just a moment of silence, Blasphemy. please. Just a moment of silence. There wasn't a single French cut s- swimsuit for a woman's <laughs> costume. While they're in combat, literally See, shooting lasers at each other. I just want to give like a pro fire. tip. I just want to give like a pro tip to all these guys because there's a little part of them that they're like. Comics aren't made for straight men anymore. I'm like, I'm a straight dude. I'm having a great time, <laughs> my friend. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I love it. And I'm like, also, you have so much anger inside you. I'm going to give you one tip. Stop hating women, and women will stop hating you. That's that's the one secret. <gasps> Odd I concept. Wish, I wish I had the time and the energy to be upset about the things that they're upset about. I wish that was my biggest problem in life. <laughs> And I mean, I'm just over here on the other side trying to let them know if you choose not to make this a problem as a white straight male, there are no real problems for you. It's not a problem. You got to kick your feet up, soak in the privilege. You guys are really missing out. I could literally burn your house down. (laughs) No, you can't because it's a hurricane outside. Good luck starting a fire. Don't understand me. (laughs) But that was fun. So 
That's yeah. the saga of that. So let's get <gasps> on to the saga of Saga. Dun, 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 dun. Today's episode, we are discussing book one of Saga, volumes one through three, issues one through 18. However you choose to read Saga, it's the first third of what's been released so far. And I will have to say right off the top, I lied to you last week. I did not read 90% of Saga. I wrote, I read 15% of Saga. <laughs> yeah, when I you said to, like, that. The second volume, I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I did not like, get as far as I thought I got. Yeah, when you said that at the end of last week's podcast, I was like, LMAO, I remember where your bookmark was. Soft girl. Like, I had yeah. read 90% when, of Saga that was available in 2014. <laughs> word. She had the compendium at her house for a year, and she got to, like, issue eight. Dude, Shout out to a homer. I was living backstagers. I can't read Saga and live backstagers at the same time. <laughs> You can't be a boombox book and read an image book. Exactly. Those are two conflicting ideals. <laughs> All right. But we're reading Saga today. Dun, 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 because it is my favorite comic of all time, ladies and gentlemen. Many of you may think, hey, that's that Spider-Man guy. And, you know, I heard last week that these two aren't looking forward to when I make them read Spider-Man again. <laughs> it's Okay. They think they can talk crap when I'm the one that edits the podcast. They're not speaking. I literally said. Did you insert yourself yeah. into that one part that I cut for I, you? I did not. I was too, <laughs> my voice was horrifying. It would have been like the Crypt Keeper coming like. <laughs> okay, well, now I miss it. Now I kind of wish you did it. It would have been Yeah, that, I, that was kind of the point. I'd just come in to be like, Stefan, say. <laughs> like, uh. I told you he knows how to say it. Um, but Saga is the 2012 image comic series written by Brian K. Vaughn, art by Fiona Staples. It's an incredibly co collaborative piece. I think I've done like a lot of reading about the back end of this book Ooh. and like all of the character designs that are so iconic in this, they come from Fiona Staples. Like literally the notes on Marco and Alana were attractive young 20-somethings one has the boy has horns the girl has wings and like everything else came from fiona staples Love that. the goose our favorite little boy yes uh was a hundred percent an invention of fiona staples brian k bond was just like character and she made that and he liked it so much he wrote goose into more of the story later <laughs> because he was like holy cats is that perfect beautiful little beautiful little creature the best and part easily He's he's definitely up there. I love that boy. Um, but this this is the comic that like shook the comics world for yeah. seven straight years and then went on hiatus for like five years. So, no joke. This was outselling like Walking back. I, the first volume outsold The Walking Dead back in like 2016. Because I did a little bit of research on it earlier. It's just impressive. Like how this crazy, wacky sci-fi sci comic came out of nowhere to just dominate everything. It became like Image's mainline book. This is the Image book. It is. And unlike things like Southern Bastards that are never coming back, rest in peace to a real one. I have to accept that book is never getting finished. Um, we are aware that Saga is being actively worked on. Like Brian K. Vaughn on his Instagram is very apparent that they took a long break because they were feeling creative exhaustion a little bit 
but they're back. They're working on it. It's going to come out eventually. Um, there's just an ongoing panini that I think threw off everything. The global panorama made it so Saga couldn't come out. And that's the worst thing that happened in 2020 was the Saga Easily. didn't come back out. Easily. Easily. Yep. Number one worst thing. That stupid Panera. <laughs> Honestly, both the restaurant and the ongoing Panera. <laughs> that stupid Panera alone. They have good mac and cheese. Panera is the store where they sell bread to white ladies, and that's the whole store. Okay, well, yeah, me. So, <laughs> Panera. Okay. Leave my shop. <laughs> the two white ladies on the other end of this call are like, shut up. <laughs> Big dumb idiot. Oh, word. All right. Anyways, Saga anyway, being worked to, on. I'm just going to ask about that for the rest of Brian the podcast now. <laughs> Brian K. Vaughn's height at that same cabin that George R. R. Martin is at, probably, getting worked I, on. I hope not. Also, we are never seeing the end of the I, Song of Ice and Fire. I've read those books. I have no faith that they'll get finished anytime yep. soon. Nope. It's going to be like Half-Life 3, where it's like, nope, it's not worth it at this point. <laughs> Whatever it's, I do, you're just going to hate it, so we're fine. Yeah. Oh, I can't go down a Game of Thrones rabbit hole. I'll get so sad. I'll get so sad. We can't do that. We're going to talk about happy things this week. Like happy Saga. things. Um, so, Alexis, if you had to elevator pitch Saga to somebody, how would you do it? Space, Romeo, and Juliet, where everybody's trying to kill them. With the sight of a cute baby. <laughs> and a spaceship <laughs> rocket. A rocket tree spaceship. I like right. it. Anne, what's your elevator pitch for Saga? Oh, okay. <clears throat> so, listen, this, you can think this is crazy, but imagine if there were tits in space, and some of them are on a spider lady, and then, like, um, then there's this giant dick, and it's... <laughs> I just, there's so much in this book that's just wacky and bizarre, and how do you can... Other than, I think Alexis nailed it, just Romeo and Juliet in space, just star-crossed lovers, <laughs> literally... That's that's about it. It's just Starcrest lovers in space, and we don't hold back on anything. Yeah. We make it as wacky as we want it to be. Yeah. I like that. I like. I went and Sex I read. Club on a spaceship. Sex club spaceship. I mean, that is a comic book waiting to happen. <laughs> if I've ever heard a title for something that could be a comic book, Sex Club Spaceship. <laughs> and we have to make I'll that. I'll write comic it. Book you illustrate it. Before Comicsgate gets that title, we have to write the fun version of that story. I was going to say, isn't that what Money Shot is? If you're reading Money Shot? That is what Money Shot is, and I'm not sad about it. Alexis, do you know what Money Shot is? No, but I'm already... I have heard that word, and we've talked about that word, and yeah, I don't like that word. Yeah, it's about what you... It's um these scientists who go into space and make porn with aliens to fund their space research. Because there isn't any money for science from America at the time. And everyone on Earth has gotten bored with Earth porn, so they have to make new porn. Yeah, tentacles. It is, it's a fun book. I like it. Surprisingly, I like surprisingly fun. Yeah, it's one of those books that sounds like it would be gross, but it's really not. It's pretty cute. <laughs> it's self-aware enough to where it's just, yeah, it works. Yeah, I like Money Shot. Um, it was my favorite book there for a minute. I think it's kind of trailed off since the first volume mm -hmm. for me, but it was very good. But Saga, I think 
I, I tried to do this thing a while back where I was trying to differentiate for people why I think that stuff like Star Wars and Dune are like space fantasy and not so much sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I think Saga falls in there as well for me, mm-hmm. where for me, sci-fi is rooted in Earth and it's about the human condition mm-hmm. told mm-hmm. through the expanse of space, right? Mm-hmm. Space fantasy is something that has the trappings of space and space travel, but it's focused on like far-flung worlds that have nothing to do with us and is much more like Lord of the Rings than it is um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does yeah, that make yeah. sense? And yes. so I think Saga falls firmly in the camp of space opera, space fantasy, and something I I would pitch to someone here in New York City. Um, I read in an interview today, Brian K. Vaughn said this is his book that's most influenced by his love for the theater. He loves plays. He loves Broadway. And he said with Saga, he wanted to show that like words can be an action scene. The kind of things that plays do where I have yet to see a play with lightsabers other than Jimmy Neutron's Macbeth. But oh, gosh. It's a good episode of Jimmy oh, Neutron. No. <laughs> but I think Saga falls into that a lot where there is violence in Saga, but I wouldn't, I would rarely call the violent scenes the climactic action scene right. of an issue, you know? Yeah, now that you mention that, like, thinking back, there's not a lot of action scenes that are, like, really big in scope. They're all in, like, these really confined spaces. Like, even just the shootout, it's just in, like, one garage. There's this action scene towards the end of Volume 3 where they're all in the lighthouse together, and that's still just one contained location. Mm-hmm. And mention it like that, I'm picturing in my mind how you'd set up each of these. I'm, I'm pulling a backstage. I'm thinking, like, how would you set up each of these scenes on, like, a stage play, and what would the set look like? And the idea of the lighthouse being like one set and then there's just like a second floor where the others are hiding out and another scene's happening up there, that it feels just like a play. It feels like I'm watching that happen. So BKV, BKV and mm-hmm. Fiona Staples have both said the only adaptation they would allow of Saga is a Broadway play yeah, by yeah. someone that they loved. Yeah. No TV, no movie. If they stick to their word. Yeah. Um but Brian K. Bonnet. Bill Max comes out. I mean, Brian K. Vaughn writes TV and writes movies. And so, like, I can see him being like, nope, I'm serious. I don't think that this book is made for those mediums. But he did say he would do it as a play if someone's That's very interesting. Because I know when a lot of people talk about, like, adapting Saga, they always think about, like, oh, the wacky parts of it are the hardest to do. But it's, like, to get stuff to work on the big screen, you need, like, these big action set pieces. Like, Hollywood wants the big action set pieces set pieces if you want to do something a tv show you have to make the action feel like it's worth it and pay off like you look at invincible even those action scenes are stretched out so far in the tv show just because they need to fill time you can't do that with saga you can't have those big violent and fantastical moments where they're like you can't have like a a chase scene in space you know Mm -hmm. like what you said the biggest moments in this book are, are intimate it's personal and for a sci-fi book that's probably what makes it work even with all the wacky things is just for as crazy as it is just a conversation between a guy and his topless spider girlfriend is very emotional because it's all about who they are as people and that the fact that she's the fact that she's a spider has nothing to do with it it's just two people having an intimate discussion about what their relationship used to be and 
you can like you can dress anything you can dress that up however you want the conversation underneath stays the same i think if i had to sum up saga to mm -hmm. somebody i would show them the splash page of the will walking down mm -hmm. the stairs on sextillion because when I first read that, when I was a 17-year-old boy, I was like, look at all this titillating stuff around the edges. Oh, boy. I'll be real, you know? But now reading it, I was like, huh, A, I've matured. Good for me. But B, like, this page is a sad page. You can mm -hmm. see, like, how hurt the will is in the middle of that page. And I think Saga, for all of its bombast, all of its wacky, crazy things those are meant to juxtapose the very human narrative that's going on. Mm -hmm. Like Saga is not about those set pieces. Saga is not about the big wacky expanses of space. It's about people just like you and I that are put into these bigger than life situations to make a story that's deeply human. And I mm -hmm. think that's the power of Saga. I think, I mean, hats off to Peter Jackson for his adaptation of Lord of the Rings but you can even see there that kind of what Anne was saying, they make the war scenes a whole lot bigger in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings than in the books, Lord of the Rings. I remember the first time I read Helm's Deep, I was like, wait, it's like six pages. I was like, that's like an hour of movie. That's my favorite bit of the whole movies. And it's like six pages. And that's just not the story J.R.R. Tolkien was interested in telling, you know? And I think I would compare Saga to Lord of the Rings if I had to, if I had to hold up two things for somebody, I was like, if you like this, you will also like this. Um, but yeah, that's my piece about just some background about Saga as a book. Mm -hmm. It's it's meant to be a comic book. It's been coming out for a long time. It's going to come off hiatus soon. And it's about people, not necessarily everything else going on around it. Um, do we want to hop... How do we want to do this? Do we want to talk like volume by volume, one big piece, character by character? I I have a lot of love bursting out of me, and I want to know how we want to talk about it. I feel like we should maybe kind of introduce the characters like a little bit before we like yeah. jump in, you know, kind mm -hmm. of talk a little bit about them so that people kind of know who the main-ish characters are. Yeah. Do you want to take that away, Lex? Sure. Okay. So the fun, fun thing about this... Um, that I thought was really great um, is that we kind of see we have like a little bit of narration that follows the entire run mm -hmm. in the background. You see like this cute little like scrawly text over some of the pictures and it's not really like in the moment type of thing. And we learn that um, our two main characters, Alana and um, Marco, they're the parents of this little baby who they name Hazel. And we find that Hazel narrates her parents' adventure of how they bring her into the world and up until, like, throughout her, her life of her as a child. And we kind of follow... In the beginning, specifically Elena and Marco, we follow them while they're trying to escape with Hazel. And so we have them, and then we <laughs> we have my personal favorite character, who I emotionally am attached to, Isabel, the little pink ghost that doesn't have a body. <laughs> Love her. Do we want to mention that uh, Marco and Alana are from um, the two warring planets? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So Marco, the dad, 
is from the moon Wreath. He is a magic fantasy using character with big ram horns. All the people like him have horns. Mm -hmm. Lana is from the planet Landfall, where they're all very sci-fi, high-tech blaster people, and they all have wings coming out of the back of them. So the big conflict is that this these this planet and this moon that's been at war for centuries, they have a man and a woman from them have fallen in love and made a baby that is a symbol basically for like how this war is stupid and should end. And mm -hmm. the warring factions do not like that. But back to you, Alexis. No, you're good. I yeah, we definitely should explain that. And so yeah, that's why I said basically space Romeo and Juliet. Because they're two warring places that just basically hate each other's guts for no reason. And we see them. They're trying to make a mad dash out to try and rescue their baby. We see that we have um, just a few like different random characters kind of pursuing them. Like we've mentioned the Will and his wonderful little lion cat that I am also emotionally attached to. Like... Side note, just like the the page where he's talking to Sophie, and she's like talking, and he says lying. I'm like, <laughs> that's one of my favorite pages. And I literally cried. Ever. I was like, <gasps> actually, lying cat's a girl. Oh, even better. Okay, <laughs> better. Uh -huh. makes sense. <laughs> that is like the best page in Saga, though. It was my favorite yeah. for a very long time. I love it when he's when she's just talking, and and lying cat's like no. Lying, and that's all that that's all the cat says is lying. It's all they all the cat says, and I love it. And we've got yeah, so we've got Will, the Will, and lying Wait, cat. I'm so sorry, I have to interrupt you. I caught this time in volume three. It was so cute. Sophie calls lying cat honest cat. Yeah, and yeah. it made my heart so warm because everyone's like, it's lying cat, lying cat. Sophie's right. Lying cat never lies. That's the opposite of what Lion Cat does. So calling Lion Cat Honest Cat, I was like, that made my heart grow three sizes like the Grinch. It's true. Back to you in the studio, Alexis. <laughs> You're good. And so we see, um, basically, correct me if I'm wrong, but we have like the robot royalty. Are they the ones that are like super just really want the war and they're like peddling it wrong? They're basically they're like in charge. No, they've been hired by Landfall to be like the generals, basically. Oh, okay. So like yeah. Landfall paid the most money to have the robots who are very good at war come be on their side. Run they're the robot. British. It's the space British. That's <laughs> yeah. what it is. Yeah. They're I'm sorry, Pax. Your people, <laughs> the robots. Space Your people, British. the robots. Space but yeah, so we have Prince. Um, Robot, Robot the, fourth. the fourth. I always say IV when I'm reading it, and so I probably shouldn't I, say that over the Okay, I do too. Because <laughs> no, they're hard. I think that's intentional. I think it's intentional that he's supposed to look. He looks like a Mac computer. Yeah, like right. Gen One Mac computer, and they use Roman num numerals to like to name these computers. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's supposed to be kind of arbitrary and weird. Yeah. So we've got him, and I could see him explode in space and not feel about feel bad about it at this point i'm not sure how that changes because Dallas is making eyeballs at me but 
It's okay. We got some book for you. I want to oh. talk about Prince Robot when we have a second. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll, I don't we'll know. round back I, around. Okay. I didn't yeah, see good. this on the air. I don't. I don't think did I? That I only read fifteen percent of Saga, and I lied when I said last week that I read ninety percent of it. I lied big time. Big big <laughs> lies out of my mouth. So I'm excited to hear what you think about what we read then. Well, I basically I realized I read most of what we read for this episode, but everything else, no, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I had a big book in my house for a whole year and didn't even read it. Didn't even look. Didn't even switch the pages. But <laughs> you're in for a treat. I know. I'm excited. I love. I will say I do love Saga already. It's one of my favorites. Um, but we've got them trying to escape. Prince Robots after him. The Wills after him. The Scary Spider Ladies after him. The Stock. The Stock. Is her <laughs> name. <awesome. laughs> The stock. She looks spooky. Her tits are out. She's just the best. Yeah. She, she looks like a Dark Souls boss. <laughs> oh my she, she looks spooky, that's for sure. And so we kind of get like the first bit of like volume one where we watch them try to basically find their tree rocket ship, which mm-hmm. I thought was super fun. And so it's like Alana and Marco basically trying to follow this little map that their friend ratted them out for the the literal grease monkey that was fantastic yeah it's so good it is good it is good and so we like get their kind of initial character development with that they meet isabel they make it to the tree and shoot off into space to start the next part of their journey so we see um all of these hired on hunters to come and try and find them and track them down. And they're all kind of having a hard time with trying to find the tree, which I thought was kind of cool. Like they don't, it doesn't show up on any of their like radar, I guess. Well, cause we see that, that part with the will when he's in his spaceship with another character, Gwendolyn, da, 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 one of my favorite characters, which will probably change also. <laughs> don't know. Dallas is giving me mean eyeballs. No, no. Gwendolyn rules. <laughs> Neutral no. eyeballs. No shame. I like yeah. Gwendolyn. So we have, a, we have a fun scene where we kind of, we don't see her, but we're introduced to who Gwendolyn is. And Elena fully like beats the snot out of Marco about it. And it makes me laugh because we find out that Marco basically was engaged before he enlisted in the military and he is still technically engaged to this woman named Gwendolyn and he basically we know like he's left her he married Alana like cool 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 but basically Gwendolyn is a really cool badass space woman that will kill you fun fun she has like one of the coolest character designs ever as well. Oh my She's gosh. Bad. I wanted to comment on that. Her fit is just I love her. Perfect. I love her. Oh, in volume three when she has the Will's cape on yes. over gosh. her fit. Like that splash page where she's standing there with Lion Cat, one of my favorite images. Yeah. I was like, man, what a woman. What a woman. Shape. Those boyish hips. <laughs> the boyish hips. I'm just, I'm just reading through it. I'm like, <clears throat> okay, so what I'm picking up here is she's single. So, um, <laughs> funny. Yeah, no. So she's one of my favorite personal characters. And basically, kind of to finish up, I guess, our main bunch for the first bit, 
we have Marco's parents, who we have found out that her his mother's name is Clara, mm-hmm. and his father's name is Burr. Bar. Bar. Like a bar, bar. of soap. Bar of soap. Yeah, that's what she, that's what she says in it. It's like, yeah. oh, your name's like a bar of soap. And we see, basically, they're like hardcore warriors that are like hunting down Marco to try and find him. And his mom scares the living daylights out of me, but his dad's like a little soft gummy bear. Yo, wait till you get to Orange is the New Black volume for Clara. That is a gnarly... I'm going to show you a cover. You keep talking. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so we see that they basically are able to find Marco. They've been searching for him because they were told like he was like missing. He's taken into custody. And so they've been on the hunt for him. And he has a family heirloom sword that in order to access the the rocket tree he snaps it in half and by doing that his parents are able to find him and basically they're shocked at what they find with um his baby and his little lovely baby mama that they were not expecting and it's just so funny because we see how gruff his mom is and how aggressive she is and then we get this really fun bunch of scenes where we see um, his dad really, really kind of like, I, I want to say like dote on Elena a little bit. Like he is really intrigued by the fact that he has a grandbaby. Like he fully, he he's just really curious by her. And so he like fully just knocks Elena out because she's super defensive and like Honestly, probably scared of him a little bit because he looks very spooky. So he, like, does a little bit of magic on her and puts her to sleep. And he just, like, makes her a new outfit and, like, puts the baby in a new little outfit. He is so wholesome. He is, like, the best in-law of all time. Wow. (laughs) Dallas is showing us the the orange is the new black cover. And, yeah. I love that. So, fun fact. This is actually... I own volumes one through five of Saga, but this through the end of volume three is as far as I've gotten so far. <gasps> don't, don't make that face at me, Dallas. Don't no, I'm just so excited that I get to read this well, with we both you. get to read it together. It's, it's just been one of those things where it's like, it's so good, but I read to one point and then I forget to pick up the rest of it. And I'm like, okay, I forgot what happened. So I need to go back and reread it. I think yeah. I've reread this part three times now. So it's, saga. it's a lot, but I'm, reading just, through I'm it, excited because yeah. it's as good. Like, it maintains really? how good it is. Yeah. I think there's, like, one volume in the middle that's, like, lulls a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, like, a lull for Saga is, like, a high point for a lot of other books, <laughs> if I'm being real. Like, I'm not trying to be mean. Yeah, but no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Like, the quality does not drop off. This book rules the whole way through. And I'm so excited. I'm glad we broke it up, too, that yeah. we get to, like, read it in thirds. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited. I'm especially excited that he broke it up because just from what, you know, what Alexa has been saying, there's so many characters. There's so much. And I feel like if we just did the whole thing in one episode, there would be so much. We could sit there for four hours and and still miss half the book. Exactly. Like, I honestly think this is going to be a long episode and we just are doing a third of it, you know? Exactly. We're already at the half hour point and we just got through synopsis and characters. Exactly. Exactly. We haven't even gotten through all the way synopsis. We haven't even gotten to quietus yet. Exactly. Oh. You forgot to mention Sophie, though. I'm getting there. <laughs> That's a volume one character, friend. Okay. Well, she deserves the whole rest of the episode. 
So shut up. She is a cutie. They're an honest cat. Okay, this is a book about them and Wait goose. till she is like a preteen halfway through the book. Mm. Oh, ye little ones that I I kind of have forgot only about read that, the first the third. Hazel's like a toddler. So yeah, so this book has gone on. Oh, oh yeah, oh. there she is for volume she four. Is. This book, every time it goes on hiatus, there's a time skip because Brian K. Vaughn is writing basically based on what his kids are up to, is what he said. So, like, he started writing this when his kids were babies, and now his kids are, like, kids. So, like, by the end of this compendium, or the first half, uh, Hazel's, like, 10 or 11, and Sophie's older than... She's six when Hazel's a baby, you know? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's She's fun. I'm excited it. to see how old everybody is when we come off this yeah. long hiatus we've been on. Watch, watch Hazel be like 20. That'd be wild. Wait, so neither of you have spoilers for the end of this book, right? Nope. I don't know. For issue 54? <laughs> Word. Word. Okay, cool. I'm sorry. Back to you, Alexis. I'm no, just... you're good. I feel like that's a good time to start talking about our lovely little lady, Sophie. So I'll give a little bit of background because I feel very emotional about this part of the book. It's very wholesome and also horrifying at the same time. So basically, we reach a part of the book where we've mentioned the character, The Will, who's basically a hunter mercenary type dude that is He's Han Solo. He's Han Solo. I was getting there. Yeah. Han Solo and Mew Baka at this point. With his little cat. (laughs) That's the best. Oh, yeah. So we see him, basically he's going through grief because of his scary spider girlfriend getting murdered by the stupid computer man. And so we see his way of coping, which is basically him going to this giant space sex club on a big on a big spaceship, right. the sextillion. Because the opposite of war is... Is... Sex. Fucking. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mom, don't listen to this episode. Mom, I'm sorry. BRB. <laughs> come back the, next week. This is not the G-rated episode. Don't, don't, I don't think she should come back any week. It's it's just different types of bad. Don't acknowledge <laughs> that I was reading this book in high school, Mother. This book yeah, radicalized me. Penises and tits. It's great. I like but, the tit centipede lady in the back. Yeah. Everybody say your favorite sextillion person. I'll go first. Mine is... Centipede boob lady, and or dinosaur with a dildo. Oh my yeah. gosh! Dinosaur with a dildo, or the the angel orgy. That was pretty fun. The, Alexis was, is, like, Alexis same. just got kind of quiet with that one. <laughs> or the, the angel that, orgy. That one oh my gosh! Angel what Alexis orgy. just said. I may just have a little bit of an awakening of some sort. Um, I'm gonna go with um, clown magic mistress who has a whip. Yeah, I just went back and I found that one. I, did. I didn't even notice like, that the first time. I like heads on long legs, too. Oh, they're heads on long legs. Don't like them. They are horrifying. But what better hostesses for sextillion could you imagine? Exactly. Whenever someone asks me what Saga is, that's my favorite go-to panel. I'm like, oh, it's this. This is Saga. I like oh. to go to... Wait, have you read volume four, Anne? I've read the first page. Okay. There's an image in there that I like to show people. We'll get to it. We'll tweet it next week. We'll get to it at the end of next we'll month when it. we read it. Get there. When we get there. But no, basically we see the Will entering this crazy place. 
And he's approached by this man who is the epitome of the creature of my nightmares. Basically, yeah. the way he's drawn, he is disgusting for reasons that we will find out. And so he approaches the will and he's like, hey, I can tell you're not really satisfied with anything that's here. Follow me and I'll show you something fantastic. And so I the will goes with him. I can show you the perv world. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, this is great. And he like knocks on this door. And basically we're introduced to our six-year-old Sophie, who we find out has been sold into this world by a family member. She doesn't even have a name. Commit. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't even have a name. Her name's her not name's Sophie. Slave girl. Slave girl. They call her slave girl for majority of this first bit of the book, and it's terrible. It's sad. She's literally in like, like her little outfit reminds me of like Boo from Monsters Inc. She's got her little socks and like her ripped little T-shirt, and I'm just like, <laughs> I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. And and lovely enough. I know that sounds terrible at the moment, but the Will is appalled by this. He's absolutely sickened, and he just turns. He doesn't even really say anything. He just turns to the guy and, like, full-on just smashes the guy's head. He like, explodes his he head. Explodes there are teeth. His head. There are teeth flying. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, this is, this is fitting. Can we do this to every person that is in this world? It creates, like, a lot of dissonance inside you, though, because, like, the book tells you the Will is a bad guy. Yes! And I'm like, no, he rescued this little this little girl. But Will, the Will rescues Sophie. The yes. Will is clearly in love with the stock. You know, they give you every reason to be like, this is a sympathetic character that I like. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. like, in the back of your head all the time is, like, the Will is... He's hunting these people. <laughs> ...a bad guy. And they call him a child killer at points, don't they? Mm-hmm. Because ins insinuating, like, he has killed kids before, but for some reason, this is different. And that's, it's, he's such a complicated character in that way. Because it's like, are we supposed to feel sympathetic for him? Because he's not a good person, but he yeah. did a good thing. And that's, I I have a feeling, you know, because I've only read up to volume three, that that's going to keep coming up. Especially considering Hazel says that he is a monster, but he's a better monster than others. Yeah. It's, I'm very curious. That's that's a thread I'm excited to see continue. I think as well, um, with Alexis saying how much she hates Prince Robot 4, mm -hmm. I this book is very good at making you see everybody as a great character. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. even like Mark and Alana come across shiny and new in this first three volumes, but like everybody sinks into a shade of gray as the book goes on. And characters that you feel a certain way about now, you may not feel the same way by volume nine. Exactly. Or you may do a full arc where you're like, I love him, I love him, I love him, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him. Very scared. You're talking about Goose, aren't you? No. You're talking about I, Goose. I will let you know, Goose stays shiny and white. Thank God. Does he have his little, white, his little yellow pants forever? I want the plush Goose that they sell. They have oh a stuffed God. animal of I goose, and I want it. I want this specifically. Where's my I camera? I can't see it. Eating. Just this a, little set. His little walrus. Yes, his little walrus and horse. The walrus is named Frendo. You Friendo. two don't know That's that yet. Fantastic. Frendo is its name. I love it. But like, as for everyone else who isn't goose and therefore not perfect, it's very fitting in like the the whole the overall theme is just like the conflict, the nature of war in and of itself, it's like 
you see both sides of it and just like how it's kind of really pointless, but everyone's so gung ho about it. They hate the other person so much. And it's just war is gray because there's, it exists and it's bad, but it's what I'm, what's the, what I'm looking for here. It's just, it's hard to, you can't justify it, but you also can't like unjustify it, you know, from like, you, you can't blame the people for the situation right, that. that they're in. You know, yeah. like, it's not Marco and Alana's fault that this war is happening. Yeah, it's no one that's they... alive right there's fault that that war started, exactly. you know? And they have to do what they need to do to survive. And that's the same with the Will. That's the same with Prince Robot. They're all trying to fit into their role as this war has, the role that this war has put them in. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, do we have a favorite character? From Honest this cat. bit, honest cat. Why do you well, like? Okay, I just want to like read. Can I just read the one page? Like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So we we see basically little synopsis. Gwendolyn and the Will rescue slave girl. They take her. They basically have to land on this on this planet, and we get this page where the little girl. We basically, the Will kind of like freaks out. He's like, we're not calling her the slave girl anymore. We're calling her Sophie. And he just decides it and he says it. And then he tells her like, your name is Sophie. And so they get this page and she's sitting in the grass and lion cat is all. You caught where that name came from, right? Sophie? Yep. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. And like we see, they're laying in the grass. The honest, honest slash lion cat is curled around her, kind of like a little donut. And we see her talking to herself. And she says, my name is Sophie and I am six and a half years old. I am, I can stand on one leg for a really long time. My favorite color is blue green, which is the color of honest cat, might I say. I was just thinking that. <laughs> I want to be a doctor or a dancer when I grow up. And then she goes and she kind of like changes her like persona a little bit. She goes, I am all dirty on the inside because of things I, because I did bad things with and the cat cuts her off and says lying and then she just like snuggles him and that's just like my favorite part and it's just like it's so true and because we see this whole like throughout the whole first of the volumes like lying cat is viewed as like annoying like stop you're bugging me like stop saying lying over and over and over again but in this part it's just like oh yes don't let this little sweet baby think that anything that happened to her is her fault and I'm like, mm. so that's my favorite part so far. The pair. I love that they get paired up for the rest of the book, too. Yeah. Sophie and Lion Cat are pals for yeah. the rest of the book. My or the question, part where, oh, sorry, you go. I was going to say, can Lion Cat choose not to say lying if he doesn't, if she doesn't want to? Um, It's my understanding, because there's the conflict in the lighthouse, right? Mm-hmm. Where Isabel is like you are compelled to be honest and true like what and so i think or there's the bit where gwendolyn's like you have to lock lion cat outside we're about to lie a bunch so like i don't i think it's lion cat's nature that she has to she has to let you know when you're lying she has to uphold the truth okay that that. makes sense sounds like a toddler (laughs) a little bit (laughs) they'll call you out everything I also love that Lion Cat is clearly has a personality and clearly has mm-hmm. like motivations. I like she is very clearly a sentient character and not mm-hmm. just a pet. Like I like yes. that he corrects them when sidekick. they say pet. He's like, no, she's my sidekick. Yeah. Yep. 
And I she like has that. fears too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In the freaking lighthouse. I was like, yep. shook. It's like, oh, poor thing. <laughs> Just it's PTSD like... from her childhood. <laughs> but speaking of favorite characters, it's hard because there's like characters that are my favorites because I like. Like, I like Goose because he's adorable. I like Alana because she's a badass. Oh, she's so cool. She's so did you, cool. Did you know she's BKV's POV character? Really? He decided to gender swap he and his wife. So Marco <laughs> is his wife. He is Alana. Love that. Love. That's great. Um, but like I like Alana a lot. We I have the Alana Funko, so like I have to. And um, <laughs> but I truly think so far the most interesting character to me, like the one I like reading the most, has been Prince Robot. He's just, a lot of depth. Yeah. In his story. See his thing, all the trauma he's been through, and I'm really trying to like really pay attention every time his TV screen flicks on and you see something pop up. Especially when he doesn't mean for it to. Because I'm like, that has to mean something. Something's going on with this guy's mm-hmm. psyche. Like, I like the idea that his TV screen is showing things that he's involved, like his involuntary thoughts, you know? Mm-hmm. Get a little bit of a glimpse inside his head, even if he doesn't want you to. And that's a really interesting concept for a character that has to wear, like, any intrusive thought on their face. And there's, like, so, um, like I said, I'm taking close note of like everything that shows up and I'm waiting to see like what pops up in the future he's really I'm not say like addicted to sex but there's a lot of sexual thoughts that go on in his psyche mm-hmm. and I'm just like wondering like is there something like repressed because he I remember like when he got injured like the first thing that pops up onto his head is like this gay sex scene and I'm like is that trying to tell me something is this like a character that's struggling with like repressed sexuality in some way shape or form so there's stuff like that that, like, I'm not sure if it'll ever pay off, but it brings me in. It makes me invested. Well, Dallas, Dallas got real close. Dallas got real close to the screen. Jesus. Yeah. I like Prince Robot 4 a lot. Okay. And also the scene, the first scene we see him in is he's having sex with his wife and isn't having the best time. So just saying, that's, that's, that's my prediction. We'll just lay that out there just for everyone to simmer with. I don't. I think of the main cast, and he is certainly a main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets the least development in this stretch, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that he does not get a very full character arc throughout the story. Like he he becomes just as prominent and just as fleshed out as Marco and Alana as we go. So no, if you like Prince Robot Four, you're in for a very good time. Mm-hmm. I like that boy. <laughs> um, I think my favorite character is. Probably, I I love them all. And I know that's super cheesy to say, but, like, I really, I love them all. They're all awesome. They're all so yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And I could literally read a book just about any one of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, like yeah. Religion mm-hmm. stories. Just. Uh, but I think it's a, str- a true strength of Saga that all of these characters get time to shine, too. Mm-hmm. It'd be so easy to not make this whole cast so fleshed out. But they do it. Um, my favorite, though, is Marco. I really, really like Marco, and I think this time it really struck me. I like who Marco is as a person. I like that he's kind of like a soft person. I like that he's kind. I like that he's caring. Um, I like to see, like, my ideal self as someone like Marco, you know? Um, But it really struck me this time. There's a bit in, I think it's issue five and it comes up later in the series as well, where the background goes red, and you get to see 
as Prince Robot 4 calls it, that Marco is a force of fucking nature. That, like, you you meet his mom, Clara. He's very clearly taken after his mom in being, like, one of the greatest warriors ever. Like, if he chose to be, he could be everything that the war effort wants, everything right. that, like, the book wants him to be. But Marco, throughout this whole series consistently chooses to not be that way and that character beat for me is so super super empowering because i think we talked we joked a little bit at the beginning about like groups of men in the comics community that Mm -hmm. are really toxic i think there's so much of the world that tells you like if you want to be as a man you can be a toxic piece Mm -hmm. of shit and we'll let you you know you can be violent like marco you can be mean and cruel and awful and i love that this book says like the strongest character at least to me is the person that says no i'm not going to be that way and it's not because it's somehow easier for him to not be that way it's not because he's like some doting soft boy that just doesn't feel those urges you know like people want to make you believe no he just chooses to be gentle he chooses to be soft he chooses to be loving mm-hmm. and like that is such a powerful character beat for me that's something like every time i'm reading marco it makes me want to be more that way you know and i think that's really special i think i do think though that he's like he's a human being you know where it is kind of silly to break your sword all dramatically in front of your family like i'm throwing away my weapons of war you know like everything alana says about him where she's like he's like melodramatic supercilious like he's very higher than that holier than thou but like he is beautiful on the inside you know and the outside but (laughs) he he's a cool character to me he's someone that i want to be like Mm -hmm. and so that is my favorite character in saga i love that yeah oh good good it's a good book it's a good book I, I, you go. You I was going to say, your love for this book is just so you can feel infectious. It. Oh my gosh. I I could literally sit here and just listen to you talk about how these characters make you feel all day long because that was, that was something special. And I love that people have, I love when people find that book for them that just clicks so perfectly because it, it's magic. It's literal magic. And you don't get that too often. So I think. I think that Saga catches something really special and puts it on the page. And I, I know I say that a lot, but, like, this is unique. Be Just in the world of, like, really good comics, this is on another level. This is, like, S-plus tier storytelling. I agree. I I maintain that Saga is my favorite bit of fiction across the board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I love Star Wars. I love Lord of the Rings. I love superheroes. They're all great. I would talk about them all day. But, like... Saga reigns supreme. Mm-hmm. Up above the rest, it is my favorite piece of fiction ever. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it is so it's so character driven, but also it has something to say, which is mm-hmm. really important, you know? Yeah. Like it has things to say about love and making relationships work. It has something to say about the nature of war and conflict and growing up and inheriting a world that is fundamentally broken. Mm -hmm. It has something to say about like, 
who you are to the people around you and what makes you a good person. I think, and it, it's also a book that like, on a more personal note for me, um, growing up in like a very Christian community that like, I, I still maintain a lot of the beliefs I grew up with, but I don't maintain the belief of the suppression of the human experience that comes with a lot of that, you know, mm-hmm. like saga is the kind of book that like, I could never take to church ever. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, this book's full of sex and drugs and violence and like the human condition, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But I think it's a book that really opened my eyes and made me think like, do I need to feel guilty for, enjoying seeing the human experience laid out like this and i think the answer is no like i don't think there's anything icky about marco and alana loving each other and expressing that through sex you know what Mm -hmm. i mean i don't think there's i do think that there's something icky about violence and i love that saga consistently makes violence ugly and horrifying you know like as triumphant as it is when the will explodes that guy's head it's like jarring and it's Mm -hmm. ugly and like Mm -hmm. there's teeth and blood and gut like brains all over things around you know and like that's icky and gross and i like that saga says this thing that you've been taught is bad with like sex and love that is not bad and ugly Mm -hmm. this thing that you've been taught is okay violence and war and all this this is not okay and is ugly Mm -hmm. because the opposite of war is Booking. <laughs> <laughs> I keep making a joke with that line, but it's so crazy how crucial that is to the main themes of this. Yeah, this entire it's, run. it's the thesis, man. D. Oswald Heiss writing out the thesis. <laughs> okay, but it's, continue. I just, I think that that's really special. I think now I was joking with my wife. I was like, oh man, like I can't read saga and my scriptures before bed that feels wrong (laughs) and she's like well why why can't you like if they're at odds shouldn't you address that and i was like i really i guess they're not at odds you Mm -hmm. know like Mm -hmm. i think saga gets this reputation as like a dirty book and i think even people that love it sometimes like to be like i love how dirty this book is i don't think saga is a dirty book i think the saga is a very honest book i think it's it's a book that has taken away any sort of filter or pretension about what life is like you Mm -hmm. know like prince robot 4 he obviously has some stuff going on with sexuality he obviously was changed by his experience in war and needs to figure that out as a human being Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. the will very clearly has impulses to be good but also has shown an ability to be very not good you know Mm -hmm. and i think these are important themes to be explored in fiction. And I think it's the meat of what makes Saga special. Like we said at the beginning of the episode, Saga doesn't have a lot of action set pieces. It doesn't have a lot of, like, this is the big push of this trade paperback. It's got a lot of, like, character beats and still moments that resonate with you and stay with you forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's another reason why it works. You know, it's... As anyone who grew up in Cedarville, like I can tell you, my mom can tell you, anyone who grew up with Mrs. Barber as their English teacher can tell you, the definition of literature is the sincere representation of a view of life expressed in appropriate and memorable terms. And this is exactly what that is. This is sincere. This is honest. 
This has no filter. This doesn't sugarcoat anything. Even the most ridiculous moments in here, they're ridiculous, but they're realistic. Like these are conversations that actual people would happen. They're not, you know, like watered down. They're not, they're not even like extravagant in like the way that some action sci-fi things feel like they have to be so over the top or so, so showy. It's just, it's a, a quiet book in that way because it's just, it's so human for such a out there book for a book that has no people in it it is the most human book i've read in like months and that's truly awesome i would agree alexis do you have any warm kind feelings to gush about saga <laughs> hmm. i don't know i just love how real like all of their like feelings are and i love how um Specifically, this scene where um, Bar puts Alana to sleep and like mm -hmm. lets her rest, and he's like completely his opinion completely changed about her based on just hearing her sleep talk about his son. And I just feel like that's so like oh like this you changed like this changed this old man's opinion about basically like her entire race of people. Mm -hmm. because of like oh how much you love my son like this completely just he's like wow okay you're a you're a person you're a human being like you have emotions you feel the same way that we do and you love my son and I that makes me want to feel the same way about you and I feel like that's really important because I feel like that's kind of what they want to do a little bit with like Hazel like oh look like we love each other so much that we created this little little being and this means a lot for this war and what's going on i think that one of my favorite relationships is bar and alana me too because i think again i think it gets to the core of the messaging of this book that like you can't you won't hate a group of people if you actually meet that group of people exactly you know what i mean like if you're listening to this and you feel yourself feeling any towards of like fear or hatred towards another group of people. I would push you and urge you to meet someone from that group of people because they are going to be less scary. You're going to see they are a human being mm -hmm. with love, emotions, kindness, fears, everything that makes you the way you are, they have about them, you know? And I think that's been a very big lesson of my adult life in just the same way that it has been that it's a lesson from this book. And I think Bar and Alana are my favorite example of that occurring. Um, to get a little like personal with it, something that's akin to this book, with everything that's been going on in Afghanistan this last week, it's made me think about like America's relationship with the Middle East, right? And I think it's it's pretty clear that this book is riffing on that a little bit, you know, on like you've inherited an ongoing war that like doesn't make a lot of sense anymore, but like is just sort of a part of your life, you know? And it made me think about how like in going to elementary school immediately post 9-11, like there was a lot of xenophobic um, rhetoric that was spread around, you know, and I, I had the opportunity in college to go and live and work in, in Israel, in the Middle East, you know? 
and go visit Jordan, go see and spend an extended amount of time in these places that wasn't just like tourists seeing buildings, you know, and it it changed my mind a lot and it really opened like, oh, I was fed a lot of fearful bullcrap. You know, and it's like I can see where Barr is coming from in this book. Like, oh, this is like a woman that loves my son and is a good mom and is a good person. Like, I have been fed a lot of jingoistic bullcrap, you know, and that's very magical to me. I think Alexis cited her favorite page of Saga, which was my favorite page for a very, very long time with little Sophie. But I think this time through, I've surprised my favorite page comes from there where um, you see Alana just wake up from her big long nap that Barr let her have with baby Hazel on her chest and the gift from Barr at the end of her bed. And for whatever reason, this page really resonated with me this time. I think because like I liked how still Alana was. I like you could like feel the love between her and Hazel. But then I loved the idea of like the love from Barr at the end of the table at the end of the bed too like that page right there was like if if this book works if a nighttime smoke works then like this is the outcome you know and i was like if i could own one page of saga i think i would pick that page um there's my bit about alana and bar it's a good bit that's a good bit no notes. no notes no notes everything was perfect we can end it right there <laughs> just kidding all right i want to know what your favorite volumes were of the three that we Ooh. read or maybe a story it doesn't have to be a volume but like a storyline that occurred because basically while i let you think because i jumped this question on you you've got the initial storyline of marco and lana on cleave trying to escape on the rocket ship right you have volume one is all about the stock being killed and the will deciding to go to um, Sextilian and save Sophie. That's kind of his first arc. Um, Prince Robots, his whole arc up to this point has basically been like a lot of introspection about him as a person and aiming him towards Marco and Alana as like a scary force. Then the second bit for Marco and Lana was meeting the in-laws was kind of a story arc. Mm -hmm. And then the will, his second story arc is being trapped on the planet that a podcast I love the podcast horns and wings. If you like saga, I'm very sad. I don't think they're going to end their, finish their project, but they were doing an issue by issue saga podcast and they got Mm -hmm. to like issue 36 and it is very fun. It's a very good podcast. But they named this unnamed planet Gardenia. So I will always call the planet with the don't eat me fruit Gardenia. But so you've got the planet of the don't eat me fruit for Gwendolyn, Sophie, and the Will. And then you've got the third bit where everybody aims towards Quietus. And everybody ends up on Quietus. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Do you, do any of those story arcs really speak to either one of you? Um, it's it's hard because like, as of right now, they all just kind of feel like you know smaller parts of the the main story, the whole big story. So feeling like taking a favorite part of that as like just a favorite scene out of my favorite movie. I really like all the stuff 
with I like the meeting the parents bit. I think that was really well done. Um, but ultimately, I think everything that happens on Quietus, especially between like their family and the author, I thought that was I thought that's all really special. I think so much happens there that's so wonderful and that like I wish those conversations were my favorite and I wish those could have gone on forever. So I'm probably going to say that. I like it. I agree. What do you think, Lex? I feel like mine is the... Did you say gardenia? Yeah, that's what yeah. I call it. It doesn't have a name, but that's yeah. what the flower planet, the pretty one. I feel like I really like the how we can see each individual person, like who affects them the most in their life, if that, that makes sense. Because really, basically, like, with the fruit, like the don't eat me fruit, it basically makes you hallucinate and get extremely violent from what I pick up. <laughs> and we see the will, the person he is seeing is the stalk, the scary spider woman. And he's basically hallucinating her presence. He's freaking out. He's basically like, oh my gosh, like, do I leave? Do I whatever? Like, I kind of like Gwendolyn, blah, 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 blah. And, like, I love the part where he, like, kisses her, and then she, like, full-on sucker punches the shit out of him, and I think that's hilarious. And he's like, okay, like, I'll stay with you. That's fine. And they realize that Sophie is missing, and he's like, oh, okay, like, okay, let's go find this finder. We get this, like, chilling scene where she's just, like, standing behind him mm-hmm. with, like, her little knife. Because she's hallucinating her mother, which I feel like is a very interesting part to see because we realize, like, she probably has hardly any relationship with her mother because she's never she's never mentioned her mother before. And we see, like, she's still such an important figure in her life to the point where, like, she will kill this man that just saved her life that she has, like, soft feelings for. She'll literally, like, s- stab him in the throat because... Her scary hallucinating mom told her to. So it's just like crazy. And like we see the part where I also really like when Gwendolyn is like, you need to save. Like there, she's having like the the conversation with Marco and Alana at the top of the the um, lighthouse. And she's like, we both moved on. I get it. Like you need to save the man that I love. And I was like, what? 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 Like that was escalated very quickly, but I like it. <laughs> And I don't know. And also, like, when Gwendolyn finds Sophie with the knife and Lion Cat, like, full on is about to eat Sophie. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, we're, we're fine. We're fine. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You stay over there and you stay over there. And I'm going to bungee tie this child to a pole. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But that's my favorite little part, I think, for now. But it was fun. Is that little triplet of Gwendolyn, Sophie, and The Will your favorite group of characters? I think so. I think so. I, I really like Gwendolyn a lot. She makes... I like her a lot. She's, She's very cool. cool. They're, She's a cool character design. They're all a really fun inversion of the Marco, Alana, and Hazel triplet. Because it's a kid, uh, a mommy, and a daddy, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, it's interesting then to compare and contrast Marco and the will where Marco is a good person that very much has his violence under control. And I would argue the will is a good person, but that doesn't have those same things under control. And 
you get to see how that makes them like an increasingly branched pair of people until issue 54. Um, and then like, it's surprising as well, though, how similar Gwendolyn and Alana really end up being, you know, like Marco clearly has a type. Um, Strong, powerful, hot women. I mean, whose type type. isn't that? Mm -hmm. That's my type. Unless they've got boyish hips, then nope. Oh, sorry. Then then you're out. Out. I married my own little Alana over there in the tub. (laughs) It's wonderful. Spicy. She's small, she has olive skin, and she's spicy. (laughs) That's the whole thing. Oh, Oh, word. Um, I think my favorite bit is Quietus as well. I really like D. Oswald Heist. I like, I know that Brian K. Vaughn denies, denies, denies that that's Alan Moore, but I <laughs> think he's full of crap. I think that yep. is Alan Moore out that there out. in a lighthouse <laughs> that hates everybody, but is surprised that someone actually gets their book. <laughs> I love meeting him for the first time. He's just in a bathrobe in like urine stained underwear holding a. <laughs> holding alcohol, and he barfs on the baby. And he barfs on the baby. I want Alan Moore to barf on my baby. (laughs) Word. They probably get mystical powers. Exactly. That's how Uh, he transfers his wizard essence on. Exactly. I still maintain that the ongoing panorama occurred because they adapted Watchmen again. No, no, And Alan Moore cursed the world from his his lighthouse on Quietus. 100%, that's what I think happened. He was just—he um, read the first issue of Doomsday Clock. He's like, "Nope, that's it. World's ending now. World's We're done." Over. Um, I really love the Nun Toj Nun scene. Yes, I was gonna. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's one of my favorite book bits of the book. <laughs> Susan. <laughs> Susan is upset about something, and she will let you know. My, my my cat's name is Janie, and she gets very like noisy whenever she wants food. Like she's she gets noisy two times when she wants food, and you'll you'll hear about it. And two is when we turn the lights off and go to bed. There's like this five minute period where if she wants up on the bed, you'll just hear like this ghostly cat wail coming from the living room, <laughs> and I have to go pick her up and take her to the bedroom and put her on the bed. Oh my god! And that's the only way she stops. Funny, funny. She's like, please help me. Susan's hilarious. Sorry, everybody. I'm back. We heard Susan's little wail. She's something else. That cat, we started calling her Christopher because she's just a strange little animal. <laughs> and, you know, Christopher, the, the name of a strange little animal. Yep. That's... I mean, yeah, yeah. She's something else. We call it, like her persona when she's like being strange is Christopher. When she's being normal, she's Susan. Makes sense. Uh, My cat is not an honest cat, so excellent. Yo. Mine isn't either. Susan is not. She is Susan a lying cat. Susan would lie cat. straight to your face. Susan does not uphold the truth. She would look me in the eyes and tell me lies. My cat's a gentle cat, though. She does the if she, you're eating, she'll like get up on the couch like next to you and she'll look at you and she'll put her paw out and just like gently tap you she'd be like please please my can cat, i have a french fry <laughs> my cat is a foot biter and i hate it oh she is, no she is a monster but like i like her a lot so 
it's a toss-up. I know she's a poorly behaved cat. Um, where were we? were talking about Quietus, right? And Nuntuge Nunes? Yes, yes. I'm glad All you right. pronounce it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're coming back. Past Dallas. <laughs> There's a big spike in the audio for you. <laughs> so Nuntuge Noon. Man, there wasn't a weird 10-minute break in the middle of that, listener. You <laughs> don't know what you're talking about is it's such a fun scene i love when you realize the big fight that they started was for the game you know for the psych out round that's such a fun little bit that was so fantastic i like seeing clara and heist fall in love it's it's all so good i know that was so sad (laughs) yeah the second time i was like she can't catch a break this poor yeah. woman. He got shish kebobbed in the eyeball. Which death hit you harder? Heist Probably or his. bar? Heist. Um, shit. I, I liked bar more, but heist death hit me harder. Yeah. I think because they telegraphed bar's death, it didn't hit quite as hard. You know what I mean? Exactly. He was like, yeah, I'm going to die. And you're like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And so you didn't get like too attached? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate when Sophie says, uh, not Sophie, when Hazel says like foreboding shit though in her, uh, her narration. <laughs> when like I think it's like issue one when she's like, yep, she's like not everybody lives. You're like, oh, shut the hell up. Yeah, she says because of them I get to grow old. Not everybody does, and I'm like, you like damn, okay. <laughs> you daughter like of a that. great set of parents. <laughs> Oh, it's very good. All right. Um, do we have any other strong feelings about Saga before we transition into some of our non-main event parts of the episode? Um, no, I just, there's so much set up here that I'm very excited to continue on. I'm actually looking very hungrily at volumes four and five right here. And I might dive into them the second that we cut camp. Yeah, so, yeah I'm excited. It's so good. Um. I don't know, maybe behind the curtain right now. Do you want to not wait until the end of September to read the next third of the book? Um, no, we should probably give it some space. Maybe. All right. We'll, we'll because it, I still we'll have to get time. I still have to find volume six. The little hungries. All of you. Um, yeah. I think I'm going to end up getting the hardcovers as well. Reading this again, I was like, why not own it every way it's been published? That's how much I like this book. All right. So, I guess you probably noticed this at the top of the episode, but we have decided to start releasing on Wednesdays for New Comic Book Day. Fancy. All right. Basically, your good friend Dallas here looked at the numbers and realized no one watches our show on Thursday anyway. Everyone watches it on Wednesday. Yeah, Thursdays are lame. So no more new Comics Collective book podcast Thursday. Now we come out on Wednesday like every other comics podcast because that's when you like to listen to us. Say thank you. Yep. Uh, Oh, thank you for the applause. I can hear you, everyone. (laughs) Wow, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) A little wiggly ferret. I'm going to grab my wiggly ferret. That sounded perverse. I'm sorry. I'm going to grab my cat. I'm so glad your cam's off. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's, yeah, it's because he, yeah, he turned his freaking camera off. 
She got little tippy taps on so she can claw things. She has little silicone colorful claws. Yeah, she pulled off all the ones on her lap. Guys, oh, gentle women. I love how, oh, she's such a pretty cat. I love her. No, she just kind of wants to go. She's very docile. I recently fed her, so she's not grumpy. (laughs) She is the, like, the hangriest animal. When she gets, like, remotely hungry, she's like, I'm going to cause problems on purpose. Oh, seems like you. She wants Hmm. nine meals a day. She's a good cat. I like daughter. I love that little dummy. Um, But for New Comic Book Wednesday, we have decided to grace you with a little list of the weekly books that we're going to be picking up. Um, Because why not? We read (laughs) weekly books. And I don't think we need to dive too deep into them. Maybe just like what we're excited about. And then next week we can say what our favorite book of the week was. Oh, like a follow-up? Yeah. So for Wednesday, the is it the 25th? Yes. Let's say what we're going to be picking up. Um, I can say the first one. If we just want to like switch hit, Anne, what yeah. some of the stuff we're excited about is. I am very excited for Cable Reloaded number one. The next chapter Ooh. in the ongoing Last Annihilation storyline that Al Ewing is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Ewing, you own this ass, frankly. <laughs> Great work. And Krakoa made me care about Cable, and I didn't think that would ever happen in a million years. Oh I thought sense. Cable was the dumbest character ever invented, and now I like him because I am actively stupider. Gosh, that's so unfortunate. You should sue, like, honestly. I should. I should reach out and say, Gary Duggan. Gary, Jerry, Larry, whatever your name is. Dum Dum Dugan. Dum Dum Dugan, you're under arrest. You made me care about cable. (laughs) Oh, okay. So my turn? Yes. My turn. I'm going to go with Action Comics um, 1034 because, wow, this Action Comics run is so great. So good. yeah, you need to pick this up before um, Daniel Samper gets off the gets off the run to do whatever he's doing next. Because, God, what a freaking artist! And just, the new characters have me really excited. It's been a while since the Superfam's gotten like a new character to hang out with them, and I forget her name, but this new like Kryptonian girl from um, Warworld. I'm very invested in her, so got to check that out. I like it. All right, my next book is sleeper hit amazing fantasy number two. Oh my gosh that cover if you didn't pick up amazing fantasy number one dear listener you've got world war ii era captain america 1960s era spider-man and 1980s era black widow all brought together onto a fantasy island to fight fantasy monsters together by a mysterious force and it's so good. The artwork is impeccable. The book is so fun. It rules so hard. Make sure to pick up. If you haven't picked up the first issue, pick up these first two issues of Amazing Fantasy. Let's see. What am I going to do for my second one? Um, honestly, I'm going to say Infinite Frontier number five. Because as much as I've like ragged on it, this... This event was off to a slow start, but now that it's finally built up, it's something that's actually interesting to me. We have so many smaller characters that don't get to have the spotlight 
actually in the spotlight. Like we have Justice Incarnate, which has been so great to see the Elseworlds Multiversal Justice League team. That's awesome. We have people from All-Star Squadron and Justice Society actually getting to shine for once. Oh, they turned the page around on, you know, Jade. I was very concerned for her arc, but hers is actually really interesting so far. And there's just a lot that's happening here. And it's the first time I've been picking up an event and it's actually been making me happy to go back and read it every week. So that's, it's, it's nice. Like death metal stressed me out and I was more worried for what would have come after it was done rather than the event itself. I was more concerned with the reboot, but this is one where I'm actually invested in the event. So that's, that's nice to have again. It has been incredibly fun and it's been nice to see, like you said, so many characters that don't get the spotlight to right. be the center of the story. It reminds me of the good old days with like 52. I miss oh. books like that. 52. Alexis, how do you feel about 52? Hiss. Hiss. No. I love 52. Um, I It was very long, though, in Alexis's defense. 52 issues yeah. for one episode. That was the show that made me decide I was done reading whole runs for the show. Yeah, I think it was a good call. I agree Smart. it was a good call. Um, I all right. in my two weeks, so that's why. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give myself three more picks. Um, okay. But So we'll do an even 10 books you should pick up. Got it. I'm going to say Something is Killing the Children, number 19, is my next pick. That is such a good book. I have loved Something is Killing the Children from issue one. Mm -hmm. And seeing the story continue after the initial arc, is yep. magical getting erica slaughter's backstory getting to see more of the house of slaughter this book has evolved into so much more than monster hunting fun and if you haven't been reading something is killing the children i highly recommend it i was trying to peer pressure alexis into reading it a couple days ago so it's very good and this new arc that we're on is incredibly fun oh that's a good pick i'm gonna go ahead I'm going to pull an, um, an image book and I'm going to say Die because Die is fantastic. If you're not reading it, you really should go back and catch up as soon as possible. It's just an amazing story. It's, you know, it's Dungeons and Dragons meets Jumanji. What's not to love? It's so fun. I love Die as well. I'm sad that it's coming to an end, but also the fact that they're doing 20 issues for the D&D book is yep. beautiful and it makes my heart warm. Thank <laughs> you so much. For doing that, Kieran Gillen. Mwah. Loves oh. and kisses. Stephanie Hahn's artwork. Oh my god. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so every page. Dark and creepy and beautiful. Mm. Oh, good book. It's a very it, it's a book that's been good for so long that it's easy to forget about. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, no, that makes sense. I'm excited for when it comes out one big collection. I'm definitely gonna get it for my shelf. Um all right, my next pick is Ice Cream Man, number 25, baby. That book rules. Shout out to my friend Evan, my Ice Cream Man friend. Uh, <laughs> this horror anthology series has a very loose ongoing narrative through it. But if you haven't read anything up to this point, I can confidently say you can just pick up this issue and enjoy a one-and-done horror story. And, like, 
horror comics. I was trying to explain this to Alexis the other day. Horror comics aren't very spooky to me very often, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it doesn't really get me, like, uh, very often. But Ice Cream Man does. Ice Cream Man, like, creeps me out on a regular basis. And so I'm very, very excited. It seems like they've sort of switched, like, bi-monthly release, which, whatever. Do what you want. Make Just keep giving me a good product. I don't care when it comes out. You know, it's kind of my attitude towards creator owns. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ice Cream Man number 25 is a book I'm very excited about this week. Nice. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say Black Widow number 10, because if you're not mm. reading Thompson's Black Widow run, you need to rectify that immediately because it is fantastic. Honestly, I, Marvel has so many good series coming out right now. It's really hard to hit the wrong one, you know, but Black Widow is definitely like, top tier marvel right now and i I feel like no one's talking about it i would agree the artwork is also stunning stunning it's some of the best action artwork i've seen in years it's great yeah it is incredibly fun um all right my last pick for the week is strange academy number 12 i nice love this book strange academy is so fun it's Harry Potter not written by a turf, which is great. <laughs> and it's what Teen Titans Academy wanted to copy but couldn't do well. Yeah. It's, it's magical. It's beautiful. Umberto Ramos does amazing, like, career-defining work on it. In a career that is already amazing, this is some of the best work he's done. And I think Scotty Young has proven that he is an even stronger writer than he is an artist, which is rare and he's such a special talent in the comics community this book rules so hard and i'm so excited that we're on issue 12 if everybody goes out and buys it it'll keep coming out i'm in constant fear this book will be canceled so everybody buy it so it can go on a very long time agreed that would be fantastic not if it got canceled if it got going for on forever Um, the last one I'm going to say is I'm going to have to put in another plug for Philadelphia, which is one of the best indie books I've been reading lately. It's just so wickedly cool. Just the first arc has an evil um, vampire, John Adams. So, you know, it's you know, it's a good series. If you like your, your horror fix, if you like your vampires, you got to check out Philadelphia. And it's it's so good. I like it. All right. Thank you, Alexis, for patiently waiting on the sides. Thank you. We, that has been the 10 comics that you need to pick up this week from the Comics Collective. Nice. Now that we're on Wednesdays, we're going to do something a little bit more clickbaity, baby. And I love clickbait. Carol Ann talks shit, telling you what her 10 picks <laughs> of the week are. That is clickbait, baby. But now... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Debating actually changing my name to that on Twitter, but we'll talk about it later. Perfect. Um, now we're going to switch into the questions portion of our show. Um, we've had a couple of these bad boys sitting in here for a while, so you have not been forgotten. We just wanted the whole gang together to answer them. First, from Arjun Singh, very yes, nice Arjun. friend of the pod. He says, hey, y'all, this is Arjun. As you know, I'm a huge fan of John Stewart. As such, I'm wondering what your favorite John story is. Mine is either Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps number 20 or Justice League, the Snyder run. 
Number seven. Both of these stories really represent who the character is to me. He's someone who won't give up on the corpse, even if he has, I just said corpse, like a child, uh, on the core, even if he has to stop using his ring. He's also someone who has processed the guilt he felt for a long time. Forging his own ring required John to face up to all of it one last time. And despite what the current Green Lantern run might say, John is someone who has overcome all that. He's passed it. I'm curious about what y'all think about this and what your answer is. With all due respect, Arjun Singh. I like that. Um, John Stewart is the Green Lantern I know the least amount about, and yet he is the coolest looking one. Like my whole <laughs> life, I've been like, that is the cool one. And I think a lot of that comes from Justice League Unlimited. I don't know that there's a specific story arc in there, but like his portrayal in Justice League Unlimited sold Jon Stewart as the cool Green Lantern to me for the rest of my life. So I don't have a specific comic book story arc. I'm sorry, but that cartoon ruled and he is the Green Lantern in that comic book and that cartoon, I mean, and therefore he rules. Um, Let's see. I think I've told Arjun this before, but finding a, a John Stewart story that I really like is hard because there's like the John Stewart stories I read when I was first getting into the comics. I'm like, I really like this. I really like them exploring this character's trauma. I think exploring his past is really great. But we've reached the point now where it's like, it feels like so often that's the only story they know how to tell with John Stewart. So it's actually soured some of the older ones for me because I'm like, I wish they would tell something different. But the one that's always stuck with me and... Honestly, I know, I think Arjun has some problems with the story themselves, but um, I really like the New 52 Green Lantern Corps, the second arc, the the trial, where he's on trial for killing another Lantern to save the core, basically. I really liked seeing his character explored there, because that was the first time I really got to meet John, because I never watched the Justice League cartoons. That was the first time I got to meet him, and I thought it was a really interesting, really unique take. It wasn't something I'd seen in, like, a superhero comic before, so... Yeah, that was that's one that's just always stuck with me. So regardless of what's been done since or how the character's been tre- treated since, that story always has a place in my heart because that was like the first time I'd seen the character tested in that way, and I really appreciated it. Do you have any strong feelings about John Stewart, Alexis? I'll be one hundred percent transparent with you. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Love that for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. host of the Daily Show. <laughs> You know, I would believe that. <laughs> don't pull that. Don't pull that shit with me. I'll believe it. <laughs> Alexis. Um, I'm pulling up a picture right now. He's this one. This Green Lantern. <gasps> oh, from the cartoon. The cool one from the cartoon. Yep. Okay. Okay, yes. Yes. Is your answer the he's cartoon as well? What? Is your yeah, answer he's the, the cool cartoon? cartoon? I mean, I yeah, he's not. That's what I know him from. He's the cartoon. Would, show me that picture. I would love like an extended solo run for John Stewart. I don't know the has that even happened? Um, after um John's left Green Lantern after that whole Rise of the Third Army thing in the New Fifty Two, John basically became the sole lead of the Green Lantern Corps book. I haven't read it myself, so I can't say if it's any good or not. But I know he took up that for a while. Before that, my Green Lantern history is a little sketchy, so I don't know if he had a lot to do, but. He's had a couple where he's been, like, the forefront. I like it. I should do more reading on John. He's a side character I like a lot for is basically the relationship I have with John Stewart. All right. From 
Omar, non-comics related question. Ooh. It's got a little ha- it's got a little jack-o'-lantern next to it, which made me happy. <laughs> I know this is a bit early. It's never too early for spooky time. But do you all have a favorite ghost story, supernatural experience you can share? I definitely have one. Like Go a personal for it. one that's like happened personal to us? No, this one happened to my dad, but I love it. Oh, so shit. Wow. our dad, me and Lexus's dad, grew up in the middle of nowhere. Like when I say middle of nowhere, you're probably like, they oh. They had 20 people in their graduating class. Yeah, 20 people in their wow. graduating class, middle of nowhere. Yep. That's less than me. I'm so shocked. they can tell you I, all of their names. Gosh, I had like <laughs> 37, and I thought I had a small, I'm, I'm, Honestly, I'm just impressed. So, yeah. yeah. So he spent the majority of his time up in the mountains by him, right? That's what you do mm-hmm. when you live in a small town with Boulder nothing to Mountain. do. Good old Boulder Mountain. And one time, he, his friend Stephen, and Stephen's little sister were all on a camping trip. I know the story. And I don't know. Listen, don't interrupt, <laughs> child. <laughs> don't be a little sibling for five minutes. <laughs> um, they were all on a camping trip. And as the trip went on over the weekend, they kept hearing, like, these strange, like, animal noises and, like, yelps and stuff in the woods by them. And then at one point, they were fishing, and they heard, like, the same, like, weird guttural yelp. And they said, like, there was, like, a strange, like, musky smell around, like, the whole weekend. Like, something was just off and, like, Mm -hmm. raised the hairs on the back of your neck kind of off and they hear they're all fishing and they hear the same like guttural like yelp scream thing and like they hear something like smack something metal against a rock and then throw like an exploding like old really old spray paint can at them mm-hmm. they're like oh what the hell and so they all like they dip out of there right and they go and they're in one of those like old metal rvs mm-hmm. is where they're staying so they all like huddle up in there for the night and then steven gets out to go to the bathroom and and he steven was with them when the thing was thrown right so steven gets out and it's so it's just my dad and his best friend's little sister and they start to hear like the sounds again and like something like pushes against their rv and it, like shakes and they're like oh what the heck like steven like quit being weird and he like comes like running and he's like there's something out there and, like i don't know what it is and they're like, oh, you're full of shit. And then they hear, like, the scream from, like, outside again. And something, like, jumped on top of their RV. And, like, left these, like, two big-ass footprints on the top. And, like, to this day, he maintains it was Bigfoot. And, like, <laughs> right around the same time. I'm not even, I, I believe him. Um, Dad thinks he know. saw Bigfoot. No, be he real. He interacted with Bigfoot. Be real. Dad thinks he interacted with Bigfoot. Our that grandma thinks she saw Bigfoot. Grandma Pat. Grandma Pat is convinced that she saw Bigfoot walking through the horse field behind her house right around the same time. Yeah. She said she saw like this big. Bigfoot lives in Bicknell, Utah. He what was visiting. He was visiting. <laughs> he was walking along, and she said he was tall enough that like his hips lined up with the horses out in the field, and she said like. The horses didn't act weird or skittish around him. He was just, like, walking. She said he, like, stepped over the big, tall horse fence without even, like, jumping or anything and just, like, kept walking. And she saw him. 
So our relatives claim to have seen Bigfoot, and I believe them. Yeah, well, that also claims he saw them film the moon landing, so boo-boo. Shut up. I haven't heard that one. (laughs) I've just heard Bigfoot. You've never heard him say that he knows where they filmed the moon landing? He's being stupid, unlike his Bigfoot story, which is true. (laughs) Oh, my God. I believe it with all my heart. Bigfoot is real. You're so full of shit. You're full of shit. Anyone else have a spooky story? I have another Adam-related spooky story that he told me. Well, if you're only going to mock it, I don't want to hear. No, this one's real because he scared me because of it. So, I don't know, Anne, have you ever heard of Skinwalker Ranch in yes. Utah? Yep. So That shit is real. That uh, is real. Okay, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Crazy oh, Western God. people cowboy stories. If you don't believe in yes. skinwalkers, they are real and they are terrifying. Well, yeah. So I like the the summer after my senior year, like a big um like a documentary came out about it. And so I like I watched it and I was like, oh, that's so weird. Like, bah, 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 bah. you know, like heard dumb things about it. And so me and my friends were like, it's only two hours away from us. Let's go. And so I like commented on it in passing to my dad. And literally, the color drained out of his entire body. He looked like he was about to shit his pants when I told him. And I have never seen him be so mad and, like, crazy about me doing – because usually, like, like, if he doesn't want me to do something, like, he'll tell me. Like, hey, like, eh, don't do that. Like, it's just probably not good for you. But he literally was like, do not ever step anywhere near that place or so help me, you will – something terrible will happen to you. And I was like, what in the world is this man, like – He's like a total kook. And so then my mom told me, she's like, he had a friend in high school that like they don't talk about that like went out there and tried to stay the night and they couldn't find him for like three days afterwards. They like dropped him off in this little field and they're like, hey, see you in the morning. (laughs) And like they couldn't find him for like three days. And then when the like the park rangers or whatever found him, he didn't talk for like 20 years. Just, like, never made a peep. Literally, like, looks criminally insane. He, like, picks at his skin and, like, is terrified. So everybody's like, we don't know what this guy, like... And he's, like, in an asylum now. Just, like, vibe, like vibing out that he's, like, literally, like, lost his mind. And he's like, yeah, he was, like, a year older than us. And my dad's like, he literally is, like, insane now. And so don't ever go anywhere near skinwalkers because they're real. Dun, dun, dun. Good for him. Um... They are real. They are real. They are scary. They are terrifying. There's some cowboy hick stories for you, everybody. (laughs) I have unfortunately never had any sort of supernatural experience. I've had a few scares before, but they've all, I've all found the explanation to them later. Like, I remember when I was really young, I was in my house. I was, I was six. I was like staying home for school for a week and I was watching all these ghost shows. I was watching Scooby-Doo a lot and I actually hallucinated what going up the stairs one day that I saw the headless horseman at the top of my stairs and I flipped my shit and I almost fell down the stairs. But of course it was just a hallucination. So that's fine. Or was it? And it, it was real was it? and you've discounted it. If it was, then I got away pretty scot-free. So I'm okay with it. He's pretty chill. The other one though, it's terrified me for the longest time because I had no idea what the hell it was. I was going to my parents. I was going home late at night after hanging out with a friend and I got to my parents' house and the way my parents' house is, their like, house is like halfway down the driveway and there's the garage that I park at 
probably about like 200 feet away. So I parked at the garage and I get out and there's just this pitch blackness behind the house where the yard is. And I'm just walking and I get halfway up the driveway and something screams at me from the darkness, not like 50 feet away. Something just full out screams. And I never heard anything like it before. And it was so loud and it scared me shitless. that I just kind of froze there and I looked over. I'm like, what? It's like one of those things that you feel like could never actually happen. And it does. It takes you so by surprise. Turns out it was a fox. Apparently, if you get too close to a fox, they scream at you. And I got scared shitless by a fox that just was upset that I existed, apparently. That's the closest I've had to like a real life supernatural scare. It's just something screaming at me from the darkness. Turns out that is, in fact, what the fox says. That is what the fox says, and it is not fun. It is not fun. It does not say ring-a-ding-ding-a-ding-a-ding-ding. It says fuck you. That's what the fox (laughs) says. Very loudly. Very loudly at 2 a.m. I love it. All right. Question number three from Glenn Machette. Glenn Troublemaker Machette. (laughs) He says, ahoy, beautiful people, and Dallas. That's how this. That's how it starts. Everyone. <laughs> that's a good way to start. That's, that's good. 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 It's very flattering for most of us. Hmm. And then he proceeds to get worse, and says, "How would you feel about Saga returning through Substack instead of monthly comics?" To which I say, Glenn, I hope Nick Spencer writes Amazing Spider-Man Forever. <laughs> I. Oh my gosh. Saga's gonna come back normally. I'll live. You won't. You won't. It hurts you worse than it hurts me. And I'm willing to tank the whole ship together. That's what I have to say about that question, Glenn Machette. I love that, like, as comics fans, that's the biggest thing we have to, uh, I bring a curse upon your house. It's just, I hope, like, Rob Liefeld draws your favorite character for the next 20 years. Uh... <laughs> we just, we curse each other with the worst creators we can think of. Shame for on this- you. Shame. I hope that Brett Booth says something mean about whatever group you identify with and then draws your characters for the next five years. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. All right. Question number four. Glenn, that's the only answer you're going to get out of me, you big punk hole. Yeah, I have no thoughts either. So, like, yeah. (laughs) That's what you get, Glenn. All right. This is from Cole from the YouTube channel Critical Rants. Just did a great video on the Two-Face episodes of Batman the Animated Series. Go give that a watch. So good. He says, hi all, last minute saga question. I hope I'm not too late. You're not, because we talked so long, Cole. (laughs) Two hours. (laughs) Two hour long podcast. Alexis is going to kill us. No. What do you think of Hazel's narration as a sort of framing device for the story? Also, any standout or favorite characters so far? Cordial regards, Cole. So, what do you think of Hazel's narration, everybody? I think it's super, super fun. I think it's an interesting, like, kind of background that we get. Because, of course, like, most of it, she was hardly aware (laughs) of. Like, she, she was there, but she wasn't really there. I mean, she was a little lump of baby potato. But um, I think it kind of creates an interesting thought of like, oh, she definitely 
has knowledge of these events, but like where are these events actually correct? Like that's another thing that like kind of comes to my mind is like, oh, I'm sure her parents are telling her about these things. Are these things actually what actually happened? You know, like it kind of creates that fun thought of like, like, oh, do we have a reliable narrator? Because she's like, what, like 12, <laughs> like 13, 14. We don't know how old she is when she's narrating. But it kind of creates like a fun, different opinion on what's going on. So I like following it. That's actually a really good point. Because we don't, we don't know how reliable Hazel is. Because she gives us a lot of hints for things. But there's ways that hints and like subject- like subtle suggestions can be interpreted in different ways. Like... As Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, it all depends on her own point of view. So, like, the way she says, like, not everybody gets to grow old, she could be referring to any character that's died so far. It doesn't necessarily have to be, like, her parents. So I like that it it keeps us, like, a little tense, but it doesn't really spoil anything because I just kind of figured that people would die in the story anyway. Typically, narration, like, especially, like, future narration as a framing device, I'm not overly fond of, but I like how it contextualizes a lot of the scenes we see it kind of like <laughs> i my favorite honestly i'm i like it most for the scene where alana and marco meet for the first time and she describes as this is what romantic comedies call a meet cute and it's alana bunting him in the face with her rifle and it's moments like that that make the narration really work for me just because it it's 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 a very much a fairy tale type story so the narration fits so I haven't had a problem with it so far. I would agree. I think as someone that has seen some of the stuff pay off that she said, mm-hmm. I think Hazel's a little bastard, honestly. <laughs> um, but one that I like very much. And I like the the framework that her narration provides. I think kind of to what Anne's saying, there will come some in the near future that is intentionally misleading. And I'm like, you're a little bastard, Hazel. Um, but I like it. My question, I think Hazel might be pretty old by the time that she's writing this story. I like to think of like, this is like older woman Hazel reflecting back. That's just my own little fan theory in my brain. Um, we talked a little bit about this in the show, but do you have one standout character so far? Maybe one that we didn't talk about in the middle because there's such a good... Such a good There's, group of them. Yeah, I think we didn't really talk about him <clears> a lot, but um, the author, Heist, I really liked the subtle, like, everything done with his background, especially that conversation you had with Prince Robot where they talk about his um, his son. I thought that was some really great character building just from, like, two pages worth of comics. And that was, I thought that was really cool. Also, the way he lied, and he's like, this is just a prop gun until... Prince Robot threatens the person he loves and then turns into, you know, turns out it's a real gun. So that's the moment where his pacifism just ends. I thought that was such a unique little moment. I like that a lot as well. I feel a lot of fondness for Clara on this read-through that I haven't in the past. I remember thinking, like, oh, she's mean and grumpy. and But, like, this read-through, I'm like, she's a very interesting, fleshed-out, one-eared woman. I like her a lot. And I'm excited to move into the next bits of the story where she gets even more characterization. I think I want to make an honorable mention for um, the real Sophie. 
I know we didn't talk about her. Oh, we yeah. get a little snippet of her at the end. Um, we find out that um, why did my why am I blanking his name now? The will. The will. The will. Oh yeah. Oh, heavens! I literally was just like, what in the world? We find out what that the well has a sister that is named Sophie and that's where the name for the little slave girl originated from and I'm very intrigued to see where she goes because we she was literally introduced like right at the end so oh boy are you in for a treat she is very cool the brand is a great character yes that's that's her her name the brand and she has her little like Deadpool dog yeah his name is sweet boy oh my gosh sweet boy is in fact a sweet boy and we love him. I can't wait. I can't wait to get to meet him. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be exciting. It will be fun. Um, so that concludes our first third of Saga. Saga episode number one. Um, we will be returning to the series at the end of September to read volumes four, five, and six. It gives you all which time. I am the only one that has read those. Of all of us, so I'm excited. Yeah, slackers, I know. I'm just excited. It's it's a good story. You're gonna like it. Um, this is my favorite comic book for a reason. I think it's an insanely good piece of fiction. I think it's a book that makes you a better person if you try and take what it's saying into your life. Um, this book feels to me how a nighttime smoke feels to Alana and Marco a little bit. It's a book I want to share with everybody that's a little bit boring and about nothing, but is really, really magical if you give it a shot. So I hope you liked this episode. I hope you read Saga and you continue to read Saga because it is so good. And if you liked the show and wanted to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at The Comics Collective, or you can find each of us on our personals at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Taylor underscore one, two, three. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review, and we will read it off on the show. Uh, We don't have any new ones of those, so please... Fill them up, baby. Give us those words of affirmation. Tell us we're pretty. We're not doing this for free. Yes, we are. We want your (laughs) five-star reviews. I want to be told that I'm good enough. Praise me. Tell me how smart we're. Don't do this to not feel pretty. Make me feel pretty. Exactly. We give you two hours of podcast this week. Go give us a damn five-star review. (laughs) You better. Give it to us. <laughs> and finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments or your praises at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next week for our episode on The Eternals. The yeah. Eternals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Neil Gaiman and JRJR's perfect run. I think, <laughs> am I the only one who's read this one so yeah, far? Yeah, you're the only yeah. one. Awesome. Bring it on. I can't wait. This is It'll be, be so, so fun. Cool. I'm going to learn about Fleeb. I'm so excited. Fleeb is great. They're all Fleeb, honestly. They're all Fleeb. We're going to talk about that next week. Yeah, so you better catch us all next week, everybody. So we will see you later. Love you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.